uh, that will be fine. How are you doing? Doing good? Doing good? Awesome. Who's enjoying church? Who loves church? Who loves the 6 p.m.? I reckon the 6 p.m. is one of the greatest places you can be on a Sunday night in Wellington City. And that, and that, actually, for that, uh, in that sense, any church service at night on a Sunday is a great place to be, I think, because uh, we can connect with God, we can hear from God, uh, and also hang out with His cool people. Amen? Well, I think you're cool. I hope you think I'm cool too. Um, my wife tells me my cool, I'm cool, so that's enough for me. Very cool. So we are talking about the call. Everyone say the call. The call. Uh, who's, who's in an e-group or uh, goes to the midweek? Give me a, a quick show of hands. Quick show of hands. Very cool. A few of you. All of you. I just want to encourage you, get along to an e-group. Get along to uh, the midweek, which meets on a Tuesday, uh, 39 Web Street at, uh, at 7 p.m., uh, we, 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 get, we hang out and do some games, stuff like that, and then we uh, jump into a small group, do a bit of a study, because it will change your life. It will change your life. It's awesome. God speaks. It is an amazing time. Or there's e-groups all around the city on different nights of the week, which will make it work. We'll find one that works for you. But I just want to encourage you, get along. Uh, we've got a series that we do, a video series that goes alongside this series, and it's just, it's just really, really good. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm talking tonight, continuing the theme of uh, the call, and, and the call is really around purpose. I'm really answering that question that Jordan just mentioned, what on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? And for me, the, the past four years, my past four years of my life or so, uh, it's been a really important question for me. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time talking about it. If you know me, if you spend any time with me uh, just hanging out, I'll always get to a place of saying, what are your plans for the year? Or what are, you, what, are you, what are you wanting to do this year? What do you believe God's calling you to this year? And if it gets anywhere around April or May, I start asking you about next year. Not even the rest of this year, but next year. What, what is God calling you to? What, what are you wanting to achieve? What are you wanting to do with your life? Just because it's so meaningful to me. Uh, and, but, but more than that, I really believe that this is the ever-growing question for our current generation. What am I here for? Why am I here? Do I have meaning? I really believe that this generation more than any other is, is, is wrestling with this question. Do I have purpose? Do I have a meaning? You know, I'm, I'm convinced that if we can help this generation realize that they are here for a reason— not on accident, that, uh, and that their life has meaning and purpose for right now, then they will step into a life that is so much more fulfilling than they ever thought they could find. They will discover not just their purpose here on earth, but their eternal purpose as well. See, because we all want to live a life of significance, right? We all want to be remembered for something great. We want to do something that means something. We don't, I don't know about you. I don't want to just get eaten by the worms and have that be my, my, my tombstone. Alistair Maloney, eaten by the worms. That's not really something I want to leave behind. I want to leave something greater than that, whether it's, uh, I want to leave something greater in terms of people's lives, what's happened in people's lives. I want to have an impact in people's uh, lives, and I, I'm sure that you do too. So, past couple of weeks we've been talking about mission, uh, which is good. That was last week, the week before that. Uh, we talked about uh, relation. We are, we are called to relationship with God first and foremost, how that flows, how everything else in our life flows from that. 
which is really cool. And then, yeah, last week we talked about mission. And I just want to say, I really hope that something is stirred in your heart about mission, that, uh, that you've been stirred to go on a local mission, uh, sorry, a local mission, a uh, short-term mission, whether that's to Australia uh, with schoolies or Nelson or Otaki, putting a weekend aside, going and serving up there, wherever it is, whatever it is, I really pray God's spoken to you about that because uh, it is going to be, it's good. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Very cool. Who's been on a mission? Who's been on a mission? That's awesome. That's awesome. Who regretted going on a mission? No one. That's just best proof right there. You should go on a mission. It will change your life. Very cool. But today I want to talk to you about our career. Our career or our study or our day-to-day life, our nine-to-five existence. What, are we, what, what we do with the like, five or six days of our week. I want to talk about that tonight. And uh, I really want to answer the question, what, where is God in the middle of that? Where is, the, where is God in the middle of my work? Where is God in the middle of my study? The things that I do, where is God in that? And, and what does the Bible say about that? Because the truth is, the Bible and ultimately God wants to speak into our here and now, our work, our studies, and our careers. See, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't worship a God, and, and nor do you worship a God who only talks about our Sunday or our spiritual life, our spiritual existence. No, actually, we worship a God who, who, who's concerned about our whole life, our whole life. And so that's what we're going to look into today. And I believe that as we look into this today, God's going to challenge us. He's going to lead us uh, into a new sense of calling and purpose in our everyday life. But before, uh, before I jump into it, I'm just going to pray real quick. So why don't you bow your heads Close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are speaking. And today, tonight, right now, we tune our ears, we tune our hearts to hear your voice. Father, I just pray that you would speak to every individual in this room. Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, uh, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would be changed tonight and go from here into, our, into the rest of our week with new, a new sense of calling and purpose. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Very cool. Well, I'm going to read a quick story. Well, I'm going to read a story of Joseph from Genesis. Now, it's quite a long story. It's a few chapters. So I'm just going to take chunks out of it, and, and I'm going to um, break down the rest. I would chuck it up on the screen, but I didn't get my scriptures in on time. My bad. My fault. Uh, so I'm just going to start with uh, a bit of background about who Joseph was. You may know the story, you may not, but uh, it's a pretty cool story. So who here is an only child? Anyone here an only child or a youngest child? A youngest child, yeah, yeah, a few of you. Uh, very cool. Chances are you are, uh, well, let's just say you're, you're likely to be the most blessed child. The, maybe the most favored child. We all know those kids when, you know when you're at high school and you're like, yep, you're an only child, or you're the youngest child, yeah. We all know those, we all know the type of people that I'm talking about, the ones that expect everything or get everything, or they're just that child or that person. Uh, I have a younger sister, she is that person, but I love her dearly, because otherwise I, anyway. Um, this was Joseph. This was Joseph. Youngest child at the time, he had a younger child later, a younger son later, younger brother later. But at the time, he was the youngest, and his dad loved him. His dad loved him more than, more than any of the other brothers. Uh, and he hardly, hardly had to do any work. Hardly, hardly had to do anything, especially not compared to, uh, to his other brothers. 
Uh, and he was, he was a bit of a dreamer. So because he didn't do much work, his brothers didn't really like him that much. And uh, he had a few dreams about his older brothers who all bowed down to him in his dreams. And so, fair enough, that's the dream you have, and that's cool. What he decided to do was then go and share this with his older brothers and say, hey, guess what? I had a dream that all of you suckers are going to bow down to me. How cool is that? Unfortunately, they didn't see it that way. Uh, and so they, got, they decided to take him out. They were like, you know what? Stuff this guy. Who cares that he's our brother? Let's get rid of him. And then he's just out of our hair. doesn't matter anymore. And so then uh, in Genesis 37, we're going to pick up the story. And Judah, one of his brothers, said to the other brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and, lay, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. How kind of you. Uh, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Jump to 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, sorry. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, uh, sorry, his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. It's pretty amazing, a slave being entrusted with an official with everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So who, here we are. Joseph sold into slavery then uh, to, to like a, a, a caravan, and they got to Egypt, and he's bought by this guy. Uh, and he's not doing too well. Against all the odds, he could have been put anywhere, building pyramids or something, I don't know. He could have been put anywhere. But against all the odds, he's in Potiphar's house. Not too bad of a, not too bad of a, uh, a position. He's living with him, obviously eating with him as well. That's pretty awesome. But then one day, Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to Joseph. And long story short, frames him, I'm trying to sleep with her, although she was trying to sleep with him. So she accuses him, and he gets framed, and he gets sent to prison. And it says here, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But this is, an, this is a pretty amazing bit. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Sounds familiar? Sound familiar? Sound familiar? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. From there, he, he interpreted a couple of dreams, and ultimately he ended up in Pharaoh's palace, uh, the second in command across the entire nation. It says this, this is the last verse before we get into some points. 
Since God has made all this, this is Pharaoh saying to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, which is the dream that Joseph interpreted, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's a pretty cool story, eh? And I don't know about you, but it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those stories that our culture just loves to grab hold of. The rags to riches story. You know, the, the, the man who made, almost made himself, he, he started uh, with his brothers and sold into slavery. And then he, he worked in an official's house and then into the prison, even worse than slavery. And then ultimately in the Pharaoh's palace, in the king's palace of a country, a foreign nation. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome story. And tonight I want to talk a bit more about, uh, a bit about my own journey and, and what it's looked like for me, what it's looked like for over the last couple of years. And uh, my prayer is that it encourages you tonight, whether you feel called or not. I, I pray that, this, that this, uh, my story encourages you and just a couple of things that I've learned along the way. So uh, uh, may, some of you may know me, some of you may have heard the story, but my story, uh, I'm going to start from when I first seriously got passionate about following Jesus. So I, I really discovered Jesus in a real way in my second year of university. Uh, I, I don't, have detail, don't have time to go into all the details, but I had an encounter that, that changed my life, and, and, and I've never been able to look back. I've never been able to see things differently. I, I knew that God was real, and I wanted to live my entire life for Him. And, I, and that was my second year of uni. I'd already wasted a couple of years in uni living for my own gain. And, but then at this, at this time, I decided, no, this is what I'm living for. This is going to be the direction of my life. And so I spent the next two years at music school working, working hard. And across the year, I started serving in church more. And, and as that grew, I started serving more and more. And uh, by the time I left music school, I, had, I decided to go to Bible college for a year. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, I interned here in Wellington at church doing Bible college, and I kid you not, there's probably three or four times across the year where my bank balance was less than zero. I kid you not, and uh, my, my parents had been helping me a little bit out from time to time before that, and I stupidly told, told them that this is what I feel God's calling me to do, and God's going to teach me through this season. Then I get to zero, and I say help, and they say, no, we think God's teaching you something through this season. Why did I tell my parents that? Uh, no, but it was, it was good. I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff about myself, and it was an awesome year. And I just want to encourage you, just, just side tangent, if you've never been to Bible college, give it a year. Give it a year, whether it's in the middle of your study, at the end of your study, if you're already working, man, take a year and give God a year. Duncan did the same thing. He worked two days a week and, and gave God three days a week to intern in church and really serve God. And he, he, I can promise you he would not regret it. And neither do I. I just want to challenge you. Come on. Give God a year. Give God a year in Bible college. It's, it is awesome. So that was that year. I interned across the year. And uh, the following year, I started working, working for church, working part-time as well, but also working for, t- for church. And uh, by this time in my life, I thought I was pretty set on how things were going to go. Uh, you know, I'd done music, and I was passionate about it, and it was awesome. And then I uh, interned at church, and now I was working at church, and I was like, yes, this, this feels good. This feels right. I, I discovered a passion in my heart for, for the church uh, and to really see it uh, advance and to work in that. Uh, but at the end of that year, for several reasons, I, start, I stopped working at church. And to be honest, I felt like God had got it wrong. I felt like it was, I was taking a step backwards, and 
I started feeling like Joseph could have felt, or maybe like you have felt, that I'd been cheated and was left at prison, left, left in prison at no fault of my own. Have you ever had a feeling like that? Like you're in a space where you, should, you shouldn't be. You, you, you're in a space, but you, you should be in that space. Or you're in a place and you, you, you're, it, it just doesn't feel right. Or, or maybe you're, 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 you're somewhere, but you're hoping for somewhere so much more. Or somewhere different. I don't know if you've ever found that space, but it's a tough space to be in. I'm now working for a music academy, doing the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing, teaching. Hallelujah. Uh, a, a bit of backstory. I wanted to be many things growing up. An architect, fire, uh, fire-breathing dragon, let's be honest. Everyone wants to be a fire-breathing dragon. But I never wanted to be a teacher. I never wanted to be a teacher. And here I am, a few years in, finding myself doing teaching pretty much full-time. The one thing I didn't want to do. But across the, across the, especially last few months, God's just taken me on a journey. I want to share a few points that He's really spoken to me. Uh, and then I just want to leave you with an encouragement at the end if we've got time. And this first thing that God spoke to me was that God has a plan. I have a plan. God has a plan. At the end of the story about Joseph, he's, he's reunited with his brothers. And instead of being angry at them for selling him into slavery, he in fact tells them this. So then, this is in Genesis 45, verse 8, if you want to look it up later. So then, it was not you who sent me here, this is Joseph to his brothers, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. It was him that sent me here. It was for his purpose. And I want to tell you tonight that God has a plan for your life. It may not feel like it, but where you are, God has a plan in that. I'm not really going to be talking about our, uh, our call to a 50-year plan or anything like that. No, what I really want to speak into tonight is what does it look like for us tomorrow when we start studying again or when we uh, go back to work? What does it look like to have God in that space? Because I want to challenge you tonight. If you're in a tough place at the moment, instead of complaining about being there like I did, Ask God to show you why you're there. Why are you somewhere that you don't feel like you should be? What is God wanting to accomplish through you while you are there? In what way could you be a blessing to those around you, even though it sucks for you? So this is something that I came to realize in my own journey. I was just having a tantrum, having a, a, a sad party, a pity party. I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm assuming you have, because let's be honest, we're all human. Sorry. See, I, I'm passionate about working in and for church, and I feel like that's part of what God has called me to do in the future. So to go from interning and then working, and then almost working for a full, uh, full working full time for music, I felt like it was a backward step. And to be honest, I had some moments when I was simply complaining to God and actually acting like a toddler. The crazy thing I realized is that God has actually positioned me in my job to do what I am so passionate about doing in the church. See, this is the amazing thing is that here I am wanting to be part of the church because what I'm so passionate about is finding other people, seeing other people find their call in life, find their purpose in life, discover their gifts, and use them for God's glory in the world. See, that is, that's what drives me. That's what I love. And yet here I find myself in a music academy under an entrepreneur who's looking for the exact same person to do the exact same thing. 
And so here I, I go from being like, God, you're not using me for my God-given potential. And God's saying, yes, yes, I am. Go do it. Do it. Serve this man. Serve this entrepreneur who, who's, who's reaching out to literally, we just broke uh, 800, not break them. We just cracked seven, oh, no, 870 kids that we teach a week at our music academy. And, 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 and I'm leading 12 of those tutors. I'm managing 12 of those tutors. So effectively, I'm having influence into 600 kids' lives via those, via those tutors and a little bit myself as well. And here I get the opportunity to support this guy and what he's doing and to speak into the lives of literally hundreds of kids every week. And I'm so caught up in my own, this isn't what I wanted it to be. And, but God's got a plan. And see, I just want to tell you, whether you're in the dungeon or in the palace, God has called you to make a difference. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing I came to discover is that, and I want to tell you tonight, God is with you. God is with you. Genesis 39 verse 2 said, says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. It also says when he was in the dungeon, the Lord was with him there. When he was in the palace, the Lord was with him there. Wherever he was, the Lord was with him. And Jesus says the same thing to us in Matthew 28 verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but I've had moments when I've genuinely questioned where God is in situations. I studied music, so I, I was in the music scene for a number of years at uh, university parties and, and, and parties in town and stuff like that. And there's a lot of stuff which is sad to see. Not like a sad you see, but like a sad to see, you see? Yeah. I've never been able to use that joke. I had to use it. I had to use that joke. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. So there's, there's a lot of sad, there's a lot of brokenness in the world, especially around this uh, or when you get into the music scene, you're at all the parties, right? And so I found myself often questioning, God, where are you in the midst of this? Where are you? Where are you in this? How does this make sense? But do you know what? He was with me. And that's why I was there. I was there so that God was there in those situations. And you are there in your situations, so that God is there in those situations. See, obviously, I don't know the full extent of what God uh, did through me in every situation, and I'll be the first to admit I wasn't perfect. I wasn't the perfect role model of what it looks like to be a Christian in those situations. But I do know that a number of my jazz school friends came to Christ across the years of our, of our, uh, of our tuition, of our study. And though I didn't lead any of them personally, didn't have the privilege of leading them personally to God, I had a lot of conversations with them. We, 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 lived, we lived in a tight community at jazz school, and I, I am 100% sure that it was no accident that I was in that year at jazz school at that time. I had many good conversations with them. I got to pray with students. I got to pray with tutors. It was awesome, bringing God into those situations. Sure, sometimes I got shut down, which is a bit hard. Can I pray for you? No, I don't believe there's anything else up there. Okay. <laughs> So about that weather, eh? Yeah. But that didn't stop me from reaching out. It didn't stop me from being, being God in those situations. Not being God, obviously, but being God to those people in those situations. 
And see, it's so easy to let it slip into our way of thinking that, that ministry is the stuff done with the microphone from the stage. It's so easy to think, oh, this is ministry right here. For the next 45 minutes, I'm going to minister. And it's true, you do, we do minister, preachers minister, pastors minister. But that's only one small part of it. And it's easy to, 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 to slip into that way of thinking. But ministry is all the time. For me and for you, for all of us, we're all called to this life of ministry. It's not an on-off switch that we can just choose when to use it. It's not even necessarily something we do, but it's something that flows out of us into the environment around us. See, the early church operated from that paradigm and, uh, uh, that, that, that every member of the church was called to minister. And uh, it's, You see it all through the New Testament that just what we would call regular people doing miraculous signs, doing amazing signs, doing wonders, doing great, great things. See, God has put you where you are right now so that you can be his hands and feet in the, every situation you find yourself in. You are called to minister to the world around you. So that was the second thing I came to learn. The third thing, everyone say, number three. Number three. The last one before I, uh, before I share a bit of encouragement for you is uh, I was called to do everything for God. Everything for God. I've taken a little bit out of my sermon that I preached this morning. I think it's really applicable for us, though. And I really, really believe that there's students here tonight. And this applies to all of us, but I really believe there's some students here tonight who need to hear this particular thing. So in Genesis 39, uh, Joseph is talking to Potiphar's wife, who's trying to make him have uh, sleep together with her. And he says this, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Which is really interesting, because surely you'd think he'd say that about sinning against Potiphar, her, her husband, right? Because that would be adultery with his wife, so it would be against him. But clearly we see that Joseph sees everything he does as doing it for God, before he sees any of it as doing it to men. See, Colossians 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. See, quite literally, the scripture is saying everything you do, everything you do is for Christ. Not as like you're working for Christ, but you're actually working for men, so it's like a bit of a weird thing. It's just like a, just pretend you're doing it for Christ. No, no, everything you do is for Christ. Everything you do is for Jesus. And see, what, what is it saying here? He's saying that it doesn't matter who our earthly boss is or our master is, Jesus Christ is our ultimate master. He's our ultimate lecturer. He's our ultimate boss. So if everything we do is for Jesus and everything, uh, everything has meaning, and the way we do it matters, whether it is seen or unseen. And when we realize that we've been called by God, that God is with us, and that he's got a plan and a purpose, and that we're doing everything for him, we start to see what we do differently, don't we? What do I mean? I just mean two, two quick things, overwork and underwork. See, there's two common approaches to work in the world or study in the world, whatever you do. Pardon me. Overwork and underwork. Overwork says I need to prove myself. I need to make myself. I need to be someone or something. 
It's all up to me and how hard I work. No one's going to give me a hand up. No one's going to help me out. I need to do it. I need to do it. I need to work hard. I need to do extra hours. I need to go in early. I need to do extra courses, whatever. It says I need to do everything for myself. Underwork is the opposite. It says I'm just going to do the minimum, the absolute minimum. I don't enjoy the job. I only took it because it's the only one I could have. It's the only one I got. I'm just doing whatever it takes to get through. But see, when we come to a realization of what it means to work for the Lord, it does, it, it does two things. On the one hand, it destroys overwork. See, if you do your work, but people don't notice, or you don't get that breakthrough, or you don't get that scholarship, or you don't get those grades, those A pluses you're working hard for, who cares? All that matters is what Christ thinks. Because there, t- there will come a time when everything will be gone except what Christ thinks. It's a remedy for overwork. What about underwork? What about those who despise their work or their boss or find it hard to get up in the morning, who find it hard to do what they're doing and just do the minimum to get by? Well, to them it's saying, hey, hey, your real supervisor is always watching and he already thinks the world of you. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more because he already loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you could do to earn his love. Therefore, do it, work for him. Study for him. Work wholeheartedly. Do everything, as though, uh, do everything for him. It's a remedy for underwork. And see, for me, understanding this changed the way I studied. See, sometimes and some points, I, I, I was working hard just to, to be that drummer who made it into the big band and uh, had all the cool stuff, got my song on a CD and stuff like that. And I was doing it to make a name for myself. I was putting in the extra hours, the early starts. I was, but, but, but I didn't really get this right. I didn't really understand this until my, about my third year of university. See, it was in my third year that I was doing pretty much all 300-level papers, six, oh no, eight 300-level papers, which for university students, that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of time. But it was, also, it was also the time I was giving, it was also the year that I was giving the most time to church. I just started leading the young adults community, and, and that, was, that was cool, that was awesome, but it took a lot of time, more meetings, stuff like that. And so I had my busiest year in church and my busiest year at university, as well as working part-time on the side. But I came to understand that God had called me to each of these things, and it was for Him that I was doing all of it. Did He want me to get good grades? Yeah, of course. Of course. He wants you to get good grades. He wants you to study hard. Did He want me to serve and lead in church? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something that God has called me to. So what did I do? I worked my butt off at university when I was at uni, and when I was at church events, I was 100% there. I was there wholly, 100% there, even at the women's events. Holla. And God blessed me across that year. I got the best grades that I'd ever had at university. Great stuff happened in church, and I grew as a person. See, one of the great things I love about the story of Joseph is that he didn't just do everything for God in the palace. He did it in the dungeon as well. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I reckon it would be safe to say that he did it on the slave caravan trader thing that took him to Egypt as well. See, when we do so, 
not only will we be blessed, but the people around us will be, be, will be blessed because of our faithfulness doing that as well. Imagine every lecture being blessed when you leave because of how you operated in that lecture. Imagine every classroom. Imagine every workplace. Imagine every hall, university, flat. Imagine every place you walk out of being blessed because of you, because of the way you operated in that space. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? And I really believe that's an important reason God has positioned us in those places, because that's how he's advancing the kingdom there as well. Very cool. My last thought, my last thought, I'm just going to invite Patty up. The man playing the strings. Very cool. My last thought tonight, and this is really what I want to land on, is your time is now. Your time is now. See, throughout the entire story of Joseph, we read that God was with him in every situation. But Joseph didn't wait until he was in a position of authority or until he had the right qualifications before he stepped out, before he honored God, before he did, uh, he grabbed hold of this call that was in front of him and worked with, it, worked with all his might to see God move in that place. See, my question to you is, where do you find yourself now? It's great to talk about this stuff in terms of career and, you know, I want to have influence in government and I want to have influence in education and all those things. That's awesome. That's good. You should. You should aim for those things. I would just even say to that, aim bigger. Aim bigger. Have influence worldwide. But where do you find yourself tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock? Because God has called you to that space as well. He's called you to be an impact and to, to make an impact in that space tomorrow. See, I find, I've said this to myself, and I hear people say it to me as well. Oh, you know, I, 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 I just need to dot, dot, dot before God can use me. Or I just need to finish my qualifications before I can have an impact in the world around me. Or, or whatever it is, fill in the blank. But I believe God is saying to us right now, no, now is your time. Now is your time. See, God will use you if you stop making excuses. Russell Evans says it like this. He's a pastor of Planet Shakers Church. And he says this, Because God never acts without purpose, the fact that you are alive means that you have something this generation needs. See, we're talking about mountains at the moment and climbing mountains or, no, not climbing mountains. Praise the Lord. Not climbing mountains. Moving mountains. Mountains are... Uh, uh, mountains or pillars in our society of influence. There's, there's nine, there's nine there. I'm just going to rattle them off quickly. There's arts and entertainment, education, there's government, health, business, sports, family, media, and the church. And we're all called to one or two or a couple of those things. And yes, many of you are currently studying or training at the moment or some of you have just started your career. Maybe it's your first year out of uni. Maybe you never, you, went, you never even went to university. Maybe you're still in high school. But uh, I just want to say, don't fool yourself into thinking God can't use you. It doesn't matter where you are. In fact, quite the opposite. I believe God has put you in that place for a reason, for today, for tomorrow, for this week, for this month, for this year. See, if we can all be mobilized to, take, to, to move our mountains, 
then and only then will will we be able to see this mission accomplished of God's kingdom coming to earth. What is God saying to, to where you're at? What is God saying to you tonight? Do you live your every day knowing that you have been positioned by God? Is that how you wake up in the morning? Knowing that God has called you to be where you are? And I'm not saying you never want to leave study, obviously. I'm not saying you, don't, you, you never leave your job. I'm always going to be a sales clerk or whatever it is. No, God will move us on. But where we are today, where we are tomorrow, do we approach that role with the same passion and enthusiasm and belief that God will move through us as the big 50-year goals that we carry as well? So do you know that God is with you? Do you expect to see His blessing flow from your life? Are you waiting for something, something to change or for something to happen before you will let God use you? Because I just want to tell you, your time is now. God has called you for now. Why don't you jump to your feet? I'm going to read one more quick passage before I hand back over to Jordan, and we'll call it a night. Why don't you Why don't you close your eyes? I'm just going to read a passage from Zechariah and. This is, a, this is a prophetic a prophetic writing, a prophetic statement about the fulfillment of, of, uh, 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 fulfillment of God's kingdom coming, coming to earth. And the return, it talks about the return of Jews to captivity. It's talking about this idea of everything coming back into shalom, into, into com- completeness, into wholeness, into peace. See, this is the day we look towards, but, but not only look towards, it's the day we are part of ushering in. This is what we're ushering in every time we step onto our campus, every time we step into our workplace. It's about everything coming under the Lordship of Christ, the sphere of Christ. So let's, let's let the sound of the, of the Word of God challenge us and lead us into all that He has called us to in our day-to-day work today. This is from Zechariah. It says this, On that day, Holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. Everything will be inscribed holy to the Lord. The textbooks, the computers, the desk, everything will be inscribed holy to the Lord. The things that are in front of you, the things that you find yourself in will be inscribed holy to the Lord.